Well, you may or may not be familiar with the story of D'Artagnan Crockett and Leroy Sutton. These guys on the screen behind me. Both of these young men had come from extremely difficult circumstances. D'Artagnan grew up homeless, subsisting on the soggy mozzarella sticks and badly bruised apples that were served in the cafeteria lunches. His mama died of an aneurysm when he was only eight years young, at which point family collected him and took him to live in an East Cleveland crack house. Where exactly was, D'Artagnan could not say because D'Artagnan is legally blind. Born with Lieber's disease, a condition that causes acute vision loss. Teased, bullied, and made fun of and abandoned by so many so-called friends because no one wanted to associate with someone like him. Leroy, at age 11, was hit by a freight train. Though the paramedics saved his life, they could not save his entire body. His left leg was amputated below the knee, his right leg below the hip. His mother, ravaged by guilt, soon slipped into drug use and disappeared for long stretches of time, abandoning Leroy, leaving him alone to care for his younger sister. His father spent nearly all of Leroy's youth in jail. The why questions haunted Leroy, who learned to mask his torment with a quick smile. Back in 2009, ESPN aired a story about these two then high school students in the inner city Cleveland. Crockett and Sutton at this time were teammates on Lincoln West High School's wrestling team. Crockett, although legally blind, was often filmed carrying Sutton, the double-legged amputee on his back to and from every match, on and off every bus, into and out of every gym. True friends. The show was produced by Lisa Finn, an ESPN veteran who had done stories about famous athletes like Michael Jordan and Derek Jeter. But when she finished the piece about Crockett and Sutton, she could not leave their lives. Finn took it upon herself to help the one with no legs being carried by the one who could not see. She spent thousands of hours removing obstacles from their past, of their dreams, providing for their needs, reprogramming poorly learned habits, exposing new horizons, and piling on the encouragement they needed to rise above. She drove D'Artagnan to the dentist to drill the first of 15 cavities. She taught Leroy how to pay a bill. She sat with D'Artagnan at the Social Security office to apply for disability benefits, something he could have received his whole life, had someone simply submitted the forms for him. And she soothed the burn of Leroy's broken heart and phantom limbs. When she made a visit to the eye doctor back in 2009, she asked D'Artagnan to include her on the consent form so she could access his records if need be. Later that day, she received a call from the office administrator. And this is what she said. I thought you should know what D'Artagnan wrote on his consent form today. She said, somewhat undone. Next to your name on the release is a space that says relationship to patient. D'Artagnan wrote, guardian angel. 
After the media hoopla, hoopla died down, Leroy Sutton quietly asked Lisa this question. Why did you stay? She said, I love you. Sutton pressed. That's what I thought you would say. But why? Why did you stick around and do everything that you did? You see, Leroy had been abandoned too many times, physically, relationally, emotionally. And then Lisa said this. She said, I stayed because we only get one life, and we don't truly live it until we give it away. I stayed because we can change the world only when we enter into another's world. Leroy, I stayed because I love you. This story captivates us. It draws us in and it draws out our emotions. Each and every one of us long for friends like this, true friends who will love us and never leave our sides, who will carry us on their backs when we are unable or too weak to walk on our own, who when we are at our lowest will be right beside us, unashamed, caring for our needs, both emotionally and physically, faithful and loyal to the end. Through it all, what would you do for a friend? Well, last Sunday, Carson mentioned in his sermon that the Apostle Paul was in prison and most likely on death row. He was at his lowest point. So what about his friends? For this would be a true test of their loyalty, their courage, and their faithfulness. So how did they fare? Picking back up in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So we read that loyalty had been put to the test by Paul's imprisonment. For to associate with a state criminal could lead to social ridicule or worse, guilt by association that could have resulted in suffering a similar fate. Now we do not have any additional biblical information to know the precise details surrounding their abandonment of Paul, but Timothy was well aware. And as Paul writes to him, he highlights them and others that were along with them as those who were too ashamed to be associated with Paul. We need to remember what Paul had just wrote a few verses prior in verse 8. He wrote this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Therefore, Phygelus and Hermogenes serve as two real-life negative examples of those who were ashamed of Paul and were not guarding the good deposit, the good gospel deposit that had been entrusted to them. The passage from last week ended with this in verse 14. 
by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And today we will be focusing on the tangible ways followers of Christ are to guard this good deposit that has been entrusted to them. And the first way that we do that, the first way that we guard this good deposit is we guard the good deposit when we are faithful to our friends, when we are faithful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see this in the stark contrast between Phagellus and Hermogenes and Onesephorus. You see, unlike the previous two examples, Onesephorus was not ashamed of his friend Paul. He was not ashamed of his imprisonment, and his loyalty and courage and faithfulness was evidenced by three things. The tenacity by which he tracked Paul down, the fact that he refreshed Paul, and that he was not ashamed of Paul's chains. You see, Paul is in a much harsher imprisonment than his earlier imprisonment, so he was in a hard-to-find location. But on a sufferous, did not give up when the going got tough. No, he leaned into it and he searched all the more diligently, all the more earnestly until he found his friend. Not only is his determination and persistence to find Paul mentioned, but when he found him, he was not ashamed of his chains. He was not ashamed of his imprisonment. He gladly associated with his friend who is in prison. So he sought earnestly his, for his friend, and he was not ashamed of him or his imprisonment. And lastly, we read that he refreshed Paul. It may be very well that Onesephorus brought physical aid to Paul, as many prisoners in that day and time would have had to rely on family and friends to provide the food and drink necessary for their survival. But it seems to me that it was the emotional support he received from his friend which was the substance that truly revived him. One commentator put it this way, the presence of his friend provided a special tonic for Paul. You see, we cannot put a price tag on the encouraging nature of true Christian friendships. Friends who are with us when we are in our toughest places, even the simplest of things, just being there, what some people call the ministry of presence, it can be a special tonic that gives a suffering friend all that they need for one more day. A good friend of mine, an elder of this church, Travis Williams, shared with me that right after he and Liz and their family tragically lost their 11-year-old son, Ty, in a drowning accident, that for days upon days upon days, he would get up and there would be a car parked in his cul-de-sac. It was his friend's car who would drive over to his home early in the morning. He would sit in his car and simply pray for him, praying for Liz and Travis and their family, never saying a word directly to them, but simply being there praying for them. This is the power of true, unashamed, loyal, faithful friendships that revives the soul. More than food, more than water, more than anything else. And so the loyalty and friendship that Onesephorus showed Paul leads Paul for a deep desire to see his friend 
be granted mercy. Mercy for Onesephorus' household and mercy for Onesephorus himself. And this later mercy is a particular mercy for the day of judgment. And it's noted by this double Lord. Listen to how it reads. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. One commentator put it this way. Paul was expressing the wish that God the Son might commend on a to God the Father on the day of judgment. Which is the only hope that he or any of us have for salvation. So Onesephorus is therefore the positive example of a faithful friend. He was not ashamed of Paul. He was guarding the good gospel deposit that had been entrusted to him. His faithful service was not only known to Paul, but he was known to Timothy and to the whole church at Ephesus. So North Wake, through it all, what would you do for a friend? When you are tempted to be ashamed... Will you be loyal? When times get hard, will you be courageously faithful? And is your life marked by such faithful service to your brothers and sisters in Christ in such a way that it's well known through the church here at North Wake? What would be your next step towards becoming a more faithful friend and servant of your church family? For we guard the good deposit when we are faithful to our friends. And on the heels of these two negative examples and one positive example, we read this in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So unlike the two deserters, but like the faithful friend, Timothy is to stand strong. But notice that he does not stand alone. He does not stand in his own strength. It is a strength that he and every believer has through their union with Christ. And this is not a one-time strengthening of grace. No, the word used here indicates a continual strengthening. A better rendering would be keep on being strengthened. One commentator put it this way. The quarry from which Timothy was to mine such strength was God's grace made available to him in Christ Jesus. So what was the task that Timothy and us would and will need such God-given strength for? Nothing less than the disciple-making mission. This leads us to the second way that we guard the good deposit entrusted to us as faithful followers of Jesus. We guard the good deposit when we faithfully multiply disciples. When we faithfully multiply disciples. You see, what Timothy and many other witnesses had heard from Paul, he was to pass on to other faithful men who would pass it along to others. Four layers deep are mentioned here from Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. Do you know what makes a relay race different from all other races? Four runners run as a team, working collaboratively to hand off a baton in order to win the race. It's not a relay race if one runner holds on to the baton and refuses to pass it on to another. 
The baton must be passed, handed off from one runner to the next in a smooth transition. New runners bring fresh energy. They enter the race at strategic moments to move the baton further and further all the way to the finish line. Now I want to show you what happens when a person fails to pass the baton on. This clip comes from the women's 4 by 100 meter race at the 2019 IAAF World Championships. And watch what happens to the Chinese team. Watch the second leg down the back straight. A real head-to-head -head between Shelley and Fraser Price. Oh, a real shame. Just seeing pictures here. The Chinese having all sorts of problems. And we're just uh, showing why their race unfolded. This is humorous to us. I don't think it was very humorous to the Chinese team. Did you notice what happened? I didn't show you, but the first two ladies had passed the baton on to the third lady. And when it was her turn to pass the baton forward, did you notice? She kept it and kept pulling it back. Made it all the way to the third lady, yet she never passed it on. She kept it to herself. You see, a deposit had been entrusted to her, yet she was unwilling to advance it on to the next person. And as a result, they were disqualified. Listen to these verses, these earlier verses once again. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you you see in the christian faith a deposit is guarded only when it is given away when the baton is passed when we fulfill the great commission that we have been given when we leave a legacy of disciples who are making disciples who are making disciples and our race is not only a four-person race. No, it's an eight-billion-person race. For we would love to see the gospel baton handed off to every person on the planet. And you may ask, well, how is such a feat as this accomplished? How can little old me make a difference? Well, it happens in the most simplistic of ways. It happens when one believer disciples a few people and then those few disciples go and disciple others and then those go and disciple a few more and on and on and on. In mathematics, this is called exponential or geometric growth. Look at the slide that begins to capture what I'm talking about. You can see the multiplication beginning to happen. From Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. Now what happens when the baton is continually passed on for years, for decades, over a lifetime? Look at the next slide. These numbers are astonishing. So much so that they seem inaccurate. 
Well, I can tell you I am an accountant. I do check numbers. These are accurate numbers. Look at the most conservative column. The discipling of one to another one in one year. In 10 years, over a thousand disciples could be made. 10 years. A thousand reproducing disciple makers would have been impacted. And it all starts with one. It all starts with you. In a more fun and visual way, it's described and as the domino effect. And since these days our cell phones are considered an extension of who we are, I thought it'd be fun to watch a domino video used by Apple phones. So here it is. All right, go. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, wow! It's working! It's working! Yeah. Go, go, go. Woo! Oh. There's your iPhone promo video for this morning. It started with one. One cell phone was knocked over, and 10,000 others were knocked over as a result. Larry used a similar video 17 years ago when he was going through our Gospel of John series, and I still remember it to this day. I actually had a congregant come up to me after the first service and they had the domino with them from that particular sermon. This is what Larry said. When one person is struck by the gospel, he falls and he strikes another. As this striking and falling continues, multitudes are transformed as a result. So church, who are you passing the baton off to? Since you have been struck by the gospel, are you falling and striking another? Who are you currently discipling? Who have you discipled in the past year, the past five years, the past ten years? When you look behind you, do you see a trail of fallen dominoes? Is there a legacy of reproducing disciple makers as a result of the way that you are intentionally investing your life? If not, it's not too late to start. Remember the numbers. If you start today in 10 years, there could be a 1,000 disciple makers in your family tree. Simply by starting with one person who you are willing to come alongside and teach them to observe what Jesus had commanded. 
And you do not have to be a Bible scholar to do this either. The primary requirement noted in our passage for this work is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And not only that, we've already mentioned that the strength for this work comes from the grace that we receive through and in Christ Jesus. In its simplest of forms, disciple-making is simply helping another person take their next step towards maturity in Christ. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Him, Jesus We proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Church, let me be clear. If you have truly come to faith, then God himself has made a good gospel deposit in you. He has entrusted that to you. You have a baton in your hand, and he deeply desires for you to pass it on to others. This is his mission for you. And it's only when you continuously pass the baton on to others that you are faithfully stewarding the good deposit that has been made in you. And when you pass the baton off to others, when you don't hold on to it like the Chinese relay team did, but instead pass it along to others, and they pass it along to others, Before long, we will look and behold a great multitude that no one can number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, and they will be standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they will be crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels will be standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they will fall on their faces before that throne and they will worship God. Saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to God forever and ever. Amen. So our points to this point. Or we guard the good deposit when we are faithful to our friends and we guard the good deposit when we faithfully multiply disciples. And picking back up in verse three, Paul says, share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Paul is now providing Timothy and us three metaphors to persevere in the face of adversity and suffering as faithful followers of Christ in the mission that we have been given. Listen to how Peter, another of Christ's disciples, would put it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You see, to follow Jesus is to follow the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, which leads us to the third point. We guard the good gospel deposit when we faithfully persevere. And then he gives us this illustration of the single-minded soldier. The first metaphor, the single-minded soldier. The main point of the soldier analogy is that of single-mindedness. A singular focus, 
an audience of one, the commanding officer. Because if the things of this world begin to compete with the soldier's mission, great peril awaits. He cannot have competing values. He must stay singularly focused on his mission. And when we bridge this to the mission that God has given us as our commanding officer, we realize that we can be in grave danger of the things of this world choking out the faithfulness and devotion that we have to God and to his mission. Listen to what Jesus says when he's explaining the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Church, we cannot allow the cares of this world to distract us from that world. The world where God reigns supreme. His kingdom, for it is only when we can cast off the worries of this world that we are freed up to have him and his kingdom be our singular priority. In this well-known passage where Jesus calls us to put off worry in the Sermon on the Mount, we read that when we are freed up from the worries of this world, we are unentangled to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all these other things will be added unto us. So as Christ followers, we are to be single-minded in our devotion to God because he is our commanding officer and king. Now the next metaphor that Paul provides is that of the law-abiding athlete. There is particular discipline and dedication to both preparation and discipline to compete according to the particular rules of any athletic competition. And with the latter as the primary emphasis of this metaphor, we are reminded of Paul's first letter to Timothy when he wrote this, Rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You see, as faithful followers of Christ, it is our deepest desire to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, even when facing adversity, not willing to compromise our faith simply to avoid suffering. For we know, according to 1 Corinthians 9, 25, that every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it for a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So we persevere like an athlete who endures hardship as a result of competing according to the rules. We trust and obey God when it is hard to do so because an eternal reward awaits us. And now Paul provides our third and final metaphor, that of the hardworking farmer. There's no doubt that one of the most arduous professions that we know of is that of a farmer. They rise early, they go to bed late, they work by the sweat of their brow and the calluses of their hands, but all of their hard work is worth it when the crops come in. And we read here that farmers deserve the first share of those crops. He, his reward is the first fruits of his labors. One commentator even wrote this, that this might even refer to his seeing the spiritual results of his labors in the life of of his converts. And this seems to fit well the context that we're in of disciple making. 
Now, whether the reward comes in this life or the life to come, the hard work will pay off. When the faithful followers of Jesus hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, as we think about our three points and our three metaphors provided this morning, we must remember something important. We must remember that it's only by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us that we can guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to us. And it's only in the strength that we receive through our union with Christ that we can be faithful friends, that we can faithfully multiply disciples, and that we can faithfully persevere. And as we set our gaze upon Jesus, upon him, we are reminded that Jesus is the perfectly faithful friend. Listen to this in John 17, verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. So Jesus is the perfectly faithful friend. And not only that, Jesus perfectly discipled, passing on everything to his disciples. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. All that he had heard from the Father, Jesus passed on to others. Jesus also is, he perfectly suffered. He suffered unto death. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was the perfect soldier, singularly focused on pleasing his father. Matthew 26, verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is the better law-abiding athlete, fulfilling all of the law. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then finally, Jesus is the perfect farmer as all fruit comes through him. John 15, verse 2, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing good. So as we look at Jesus and recognize our deep dependency upon him, for our disciple-making mission that he has put us on, we remember that he is the only hope of our salvation, our only hope of success in multiplying disciples, and our ultimate hope in persevering. So, church, we must consider what this means for us. What will we do with the good deposit that has been entrusted to us? What is our next step in the disciple-making mission. What will we do with the baton? Will we hold on to it? Or will we pass it forward? Our last 
verse prompts us to do just this. To think it over. To ponder it. To mull it over. And how we will specifically apply these challenges, these realities to our lives so that we actually do something with what has been entrusted to us. The good gospel deposit. Listen to verse 7. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So we're going to do that now. Susie is going to come up and she's going to play some instrumental background music for the next couple of minutes. And right where you are, I want to encourage you to close your eyes and to pray to God these two things that are on the screen behind me. Pray, God, who are the people in my spheres of influence that I could help take their next step in maturity in Christ? God, how do you want me to tangibly guard the good gospel deposit that you have made in me by passing it along to others? And church, allow God the opportunity to give you understanding.